The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 41, The Haunted House of Torment. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. Chainsaws, strobe lights, blood-splattered walls, creepy clowns, and blood-curdling screams. These are all just a few things you could expect to encounter at a haunted house attraction. But for one particular haunt, here in Austin, Texas, there are things other than actors and props eliciting fear in the venue. The House of Torment is a long-standing commercial haunted house where its employees are paid to scare the pants off their guests. But at this location, something is actually scaring the pants off of them. With reported shadow figures darting through halls, sightings of doppelgangers mimicking the staff, eerie figures climbing the walls, doors opening on their own, and mysterious footsteps circling employees working alone at night, we're not quite sure what we've gotten ourselves into, but we're going to find out. Join us, the Night Owl team, as we dive into our first ever haunted house attraction that may actually be haunted. Stay tuned. I'd like to give a big thanks to AG1 by Athletic Greens for continuing to support the Night Owl podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash nightowl. That's drinkag1.com slash nightowl. I'm also thrilled to announce that we have a new sponsor for the show. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NightOwl16 and use code NightOwl16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash NightOwl16. A few quick announcements and updates, Night Owls. First and foremost, Night Owl was officially voted best podcast in the Austin Chronicles 2023 Reader's Poll. I'd like to personally thank everyone who voted for us. So for anyone who lives in Austin, the surrounding area, or who's willing to travel, I invite you out to celebrate this win with us at one of our former haunted sites, the Spider House Cafe, which is now Tweety's Bar. This is not a ticketed event, just an open invite to come hang with us, grab some drinks and some grub, and meet and mingle with the Night Owl team and other listeners like yourself. We're calling it a gathering of spirits, and it's happening Sunday, July 16th, from 6 to 9 p.m. at Tweety's Bar, formerly the Spider House Cafe. So come grab a drink, say hi, and celebrate with us. Hope to see you there. Secondly, I'm excited to announce something I've been trying to get off the ground for many years now. Beginning this fall, we will launch our haunted evenings with the Night Owl at some of our great locations that we featured in the past. The Tavern has always been a place I wanted to partner with, and we've finally done it. Our first haunted evening will take place there beginning in September of 2023. We'll also be having haunted evenings at other venues including Tweety's Bar, which I mentioned before was formerly Spider House, and The Clay Pit. There are others we're aiming to develop and work with as well. So, what's a haunted evening, you ask? 
Well, they'll all be a little bit different, but most will consist of the following. A full guided tour of the venue, dinner and drinks, meet and greet with me and other team members when they can make it, and lastly, we'll do some paranormal investigation on the location as well. Coming this fall, we aim to offer at least one haunted evening a month, rotating between venues. Patrons will always have first dibs at these tickets, and they'll be the first to know when they are available. Then I'll announce it on social media, our newsletter, and our website. So stay tuned. And lastly, the chance to pre-order our cool new summer tanks has ended. So if you missed it, you sadly missed your chance for one. But for those that did pre-order, we'll be getting those orders printed in late June and hope to ship in early July. We will email everyone who purchased a tank when they ship, so look out for that. If you missed out and are kicking yourself in the butt for not grabbing one of these, we'll have a new merch item dropping this July. Stay tuned. Every year when autumn leaves begin to change color and the air has a crisp coolness that only fall can bring, millions of people make their way to the scariest haunted attractions they can find. Creepy dark rooms filled with eerie sounds, walls and furniture covered in cobwebs, and terrifying surprises around every corner. Haunted houses and people that are obsessed with these attractions have actually been around for quite some time. In 1802, Marie Tussaud began terrifying London audiences with her Chamber of Horrors exhibition of gruesome life-sized wax figures. In 1915, the Orton and Spooner Ghost House opened as one of the first commercial haunted houses as part of the Edwardian Fair in Great Britain. Here in the United States, Halloween-themed haunted houses actually had their beginnings during the Great Depression. Parents and communities developed those first primitive haunted houses as a way to deter Halloween night pranksters from escalating amounts of vandalism, property damage, and harassment of citizens that was occurring. Our own beloved Walt Disney, believe it or not, had a hand in developing people's love for the commercial haunted house. Disneyland's Haunted Mansion opened in 1969 with huge success. Shortly after its opening, in a single day, more than 82,000 people eagerly paid admission to pass through its ghostly halls. Here in Austin, Texas, we have one of our very own long-standing haunts. The House of Torment was gearing up to celebrate its 20th anniversary on October of 2022. But before the celebration was to start, the staff actually reached out to me because to my surprise, they were actually scared of being in their own haunted attraction. Apparently, this feeling wasn't just something more recent staff were experiencing either. Dating all the way back to its early beginnings at the Highland Mall location, the House of Torment staff had actually been having unnerving experiences. In this first installment of this series, I'm going to share my first portion of interviews that I had with staff whose experiences began at the former location, Highland Mall, and with whom experiences continued at the current location at Ridgepoint. So get ready for a good scare, listeners. I'm taking you on a trip to the House of Torment's haunted history, starting with its very beginning. Well, my name is Daniel McCullough, and I am the founder of House of Torment Haunted House in Austin, Texas. Uh, I started in the Halloween industry um, based off of a need uh, to bring back Halloween to the neighborhood that I lived in. I bought a house when I was 20 years old. And I was really excited to have trick-or-treaters come over for Halloween because Halloween was my favorite holiday growing up. And it was such a festive holiday in Austin. People would have garage haunts set up. There would be kids by the hundreds out on the streets. And so my first Halloween in my first house 
I had maybe one or two kids trick or treat and it was so depressing. And so I really wanted to start decorating the yard and doing something cool to kind of interest kids back into Halloween and what I grew up um, experiencing. And uh, so that was about the dawn of the internet and being able to search things online. And so I just started looking up what I could do for decorations and things I could build and some ideas. And I came across some early animations that are pneumatic driven props that would activate or you could activate them and give the little kids a scare. And I was really interested in that. So I started building animations out of PVC with uh, solenoid water valves, like everybody else that starts in our industry as a home hunter. And uh, first thing I built was the trash can trauma. And it was basically just the normal household garbage can for the curb that had a zombie head inside of it and an arm that flung out when you hit a button. It made a loud, scary noise, and it was great, and I loved it, and I fell in love with it at that point. So that started my desire into wanting to learn, build creepier and more awesome things for the yard every year. Um, so the first year that I actually had a yard set up, you know, we had probably 50 to 100 kids come by, which was great. I think it was 98 the first year I set up my yard hunt, and then all the way to 2003, fast forward, is the year I opened House of Torment officially. Uh, and what propelled me from going from a home haunt to a commercial haunt, the last year I had my home haunt, I had several thousand people come through my yard and my garage and waiting in line. And it was quite a disturbance to the neighborhood. And uh, my uh, wife at the time was like, no more. And I was like, well, I'm not stopping. So um, in 2003, I found the location at North Cross Mall off of Runberg Lane at the old first cafeteria. That was a semi-successful year. I think we did a little over 6,000 customers in a season. You know, there was a lot of learning curves and a lot of challenges along the way, but the love and the passion just grew from there. And I met a lot of good people. In fact, several people that first year or two are still with the company in much bigger roles now than just being an actor. So it's been a great way to create long-lasting friendships and partnerships and work. Just enjoy what you do and share it with other people. As far as craziness goes, I've got a lot of crazy stories. They don't all pertain to House of Torment, unfortunately. But uh, the first thing I think I remember at House of Torment was at our Highland Mall location. I think it would have been in 2005. I was standing in what was our store, and I saw someone walking like next to me, and I turned and looked. And very cliche, there's this like ghostly lady floating across the floor, like toe-dragging off the ground in a blue dress with like daisies. And I mean, that was the first weird thing that happened. Uh, my name is Michael Faust. I'm the market manager for uh, House of Torment, Austin and 13th floor, San Antonio. And I've been with them since 2005. I have grown from scene actor all the way up to now what I'm doing with the company. At Highland, a lot of stuff always happened. And it, you could always chalk it up to, well, we're working up, they're late. Or because we'd always put in hours like, you know, we'd, we'd show up like, you know, in the morning and just work. So there's no more daylight. And so you'd, you'd, we'd start to think that we're just tired. But 2005 and it was towards Christmas when we did our Creepsville Christmas event, we had an area that was just like we'd throw all of our scrap wood. And that's where a chop, uh, chop table was where we'd saw everything off, saw this on the ground. And we were there in the hallway, like on the opposite side of it. 
and the door pops open in front of us and closes and it's on spring so it gives a good amount of pressure you got to pop it open and it opens up and closes but there was no sawdust disturbed and no wood like somebody would have had to have run so that was the real first thing that we encountered there's times like one instance this time me and dan were just up there working late and there was a prop that uh it's a sensor prop like on the floor a step pad you'd have to step on and it was a chainsaw noise because we couldn't operate chainsaws inside the haunted house uh this for fire code and so we uh you'd have to put i think he said it needed to be five pounds of pressure to set it off and it was just me and him it went off and it was really cold and he would say how the sensors were they kind of would bow and they'd have to touch and so five pounds of pressure would set it off. And we were like, well, it's probably rats because it's an old building, an old airy building. And uh, it went off. And we both jumped and we're like, okay, it's probably just, you know, he was like, oh, it's, it's rats or it's, it just, it's just cold. So the pressure, the heat and the cold is making it do that. He goes, watch, I'll do this. I'll count to three. He goes, and if it goes with then, then we'll know. And he goes, ghosts, I'm going to count to three. And on three, if you go off, then you're real. One, two, and it triggers. Make the chainsaw noise. We just got our stuff and left. That was around, I think, 2006 it had to be. And then I remember one time I was walking around the haunted house, and it was a two-story level because the mezzanine above where the projectors were because it was all theater was also a show built out upstairs. And I heard Mike, who worked for me at the time, talking to me, but he was just saying, I'm in the clown room, which is really weird. I'm in the clown room. And I was like, what? We don't have a clown room. And it went on for like, you know, four or five times. And I'm like, what the heck? But nobody was in the building. Mike wasn't there. I called him on the phone thinking he was just trying to freak me out. And he thought it was me telling him like, hey, I'm up here. I told him that wasn't that wasn't me asking that. And so he got real weirded out. And I always remember that really spooked him really good. There was no one there. And then for the longest time at that location, we would hear things all the time. From there, around uh, 2007, there was a time. My character was Sergeant Graves. It was like an army zombie guy. We had an area that was all like old school military, like the, the classic camo fatigues um, area and bunk beds. And I remember going up to break one of my actors and I look uh, at, at the bunk beds and he's sitting there and I was like, well, dude's supposed to go on his break. And so I was like, hey, hey, come on. Like, you got to go. You got to hurry up. I see the shadows of customers coming. So I was like, gosh, I got to run and go, you know, hide. So I run and sit next to him and I sit down. And when, I, when I sit next to him, I realize that there's no pressure on the bed and that that's just a shadow and it slowly dissipates. Uh, the customers leave and the actor comes around the corner. And I was like, how long have you been on your break? He was like, I've, I've like, I'm coming back from my break. I thought I was just talking to you. Like then who, who was just right here? My brother Matt, uh, numerous times in this uh, our church ramp, he had painted distressed all of the portraits, and it was like 20-story walls in there, and he painted them all, and all of them were wiped clean one day when we came in. And it's like, it's more of a, well, you just wasted all of our work. <laughs> it's all of our time we did. So all of that was gone. My name is Chase Buchanan, and I was with House of Torment for almost 10 years. I started as a teenager working as a seasonal actor at the Highland Mall location. Walking into a haunted house is a very different feeling, you know, especially the Highland Mall location was old and it just had years and years of work put into it. And it was a really beautiful space. It had huge cityscape buildings and things like that. 
it was also just very lived in and it felt very gritty. My first like part of the season there, I was working upstairs by myself in a room that was the lab. And I got a lot of kind of uncomfortable feelings, but I kind of always just chalked it up to being in a place that's intentionally spooky, you know, and there's scary music playing and there's people screaming. And when there weren't groups coming through, I I felt pretty unsettled, but I really just thought that that had something to do with the space that I was in. And so probably midway through my first season, there was a room that was called the spaceship room. And it was kind of the cross spaceship and had places to, to run around and these big fire escapes in it that some of the stunt people would climb up. And for some reason, nobody wanted to work in there. And I, I didn't know why because I was new and I had a fairly small friend group. So I, I hadn't really talked to anybody or learned any of the stories yet. And so the manager came to me and he said, Hey, I'm going to put you in the spaceship room tonight. And I was just kind of like, okay, cool. Sounds good. I'll, I'll, I'll work in there. You know, I'm, I'm up to do whatever needs to be done. So I was in the spaceship room and it was a fairly slow night. So it wasn't just a constant train of people going through there. And I like the level of discomfort intensified. I was so uncomfortable. I felt such a sense of relief when people would walk into my room because I didn't feel like I was stuck alone in that room. So trying to do my job and be scary and get get a good scare in, but also just, just finally feeling almost like safe. And I finally got to the midway point in my shift and I went out on break and I went outside and I talked to a couple of people and I was like, oh, I'm working in the spaceship room. Everybody was just kind of like, whoa, how are you feeling? (laughs) I was like, I feel terrible. What's going on? And they were like, it's so haunted. And of course, you know, everybody comes up with these crazy stories like, you know, oh, they found a dead body in there. And even then I was like, I don't think that's right. And like crazy stories, you know, the Highland building had been through a lot of iterations. It had been a movie theater and a laser tag rink and all of these things, arena before it became House of Torment. And so people were kind of coming at me with all these crazy stories of someone dying in that room. And I was just like, I don't think that's right, but I don't, I don't like it in there. And I, but I just kind of just bit the bullet and I just went back in there and worked the rest of my shift in there. But I was so unbelievably grateful when the night was finally over and we could all get out of our scenes and get out of our costumes and I could be done working in there. And thankfully, I didn't get put back in there. I was so glad. And that was that was the very beginning of my journey with House of Torment. And I continued to work there as an actor for a few more seasons. But there were times when the attractions would be empty. There would be nobody in there. The music's not on. The light's not on. Like the work lights are on. So it's just like the big fluorescence in the ceiling. So you can see what's happening. And going into the control room and looking at all of the cameras, you know, there would be nobody in there, but you would see actor doors opening and closing. And all of the actor doors 
were on springs so that they would close so that that section wasn't accidentally <laughs> left open and customers would wander through. So they would close automatically. So you would have to push on them, you know? And so seeing doors open, we would see props just go off. A lot of weird light shifts. I felt like I saw people like almost shadow figures kind of in the mist on the cameras and things like that. If there was still fog left over from that evening's performance. But Highland had a very different energy to it. You know, those were kind of my my main feelings and things that I experienced there. But I know a lot of folks had crazy experiences at the Highland Mall location. So we had a friend who uh, she said that she was really in tune with stuff and, you know, she, she didn't like to talk about it a lot. And so that's, we'd always go downtown or hang out or work late and, we're, and we'd always bring everybody back to the haunt to check it out because we we're always proud of what we did. And we're like, you want to check it out? And so she was really interested and we showed her around. And as soon as we brought her in, she didn't like it at all. And we asked her why. She's like, well, I see a younger girl, blonde, wearing all white. She's terrified and she's over there in the corner. Uh, we were like, okay, well, let's just walk through it all. And then we're walking, and she's asking if there was somebody else here with us. And it was like, no, it's just me, my brother, and uh, one of our other older employees. And she's like, well, there's an old man over there, a bald man over there, like with overalls too, and he's following us. And so we're like, okay, this is, you know, getting a little unsettling. And so we're walking through the whole haunt, and, and she keeps saying that she's ahead of us and that he's behind us watching. And he's getting angry and angry as we were walking through. And then all of a sudden, he was in front of us now watching us around the corner while we're walking. And in the lab, Sergeant Graves' room, we're in there. And then she pulls her arm back, terrified, and asks her what's wrong. She's saying, it's just really cold. And so I put my arm forward in the hallway, and it was freezing. She said he was just right there around that corner. We continue downstairs. As we're going down again, she's still saying that she sees him really angry walking around, kind of leading us. And as we get downstairs, we're out into the lobby now. And she's saying, well, I want to go back in there and see if I can, you know, maybe talk to him or try to do whatever. I remember I waited up front just to be home base. And they walk in. And they're gone for like 10, 15 minutes. And I just hear her scream really loud. And then they come running out. And I ask them what happened. They said that she just got pushed and flew against the wall. And so they ran out of there. So... Instinctively, that just made me mad. You're like, you're hurting my people. And I go run in there and I start yelling and cursing at whatever it is saying, you think you're so terrifying and you're so, so scary. That's my job. That's what I do here. And I'm the best one at it. And the sad thing is you have to stay here. I get to leave and go do whatever I want to do. Uh, she was shaken. And so uh, we go back, everybody leaves. And uh, I was her ride and I'm dropping her off. And she's like, well, just, you know, stay over. I, I don't want to, you know, stay here by myself. And so hanging out at her place, when we get there, we're uh, in her living room. And in her bedroom, she says she sees that old man that was at the haunted house there in her bedroom now. And then we hear a cat. Like it sounded like a cat, but then turned like to a weird metallic, like metal noise. And so I just hopped up and ran to the door and she yells and I flipped a switch on in the living room. And so I turn the lights on. We don't see it anymore. She doesn't see it anymore. That was the last she had saw that night. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll hang out here and, you know, leave tomorrow. And I was like six in the morning. And so I woke up the next day and all the lights were on in the apartment and all of the drawers and the kitchen and her room were all opened. And we didn't hear any of that. Like that was just all open. 
And so I, I was done. I was like, all right, I'm not, I don't, I've, I've had enough of this. That was probably the most startling thing that happened to me from over at that location. So my name is Devin. I have been with House of Torment since 2011. Back at the old location, because the new location here at Ridgepoint has a different feel than what we had back at Highland. Highland, it used to be a movie theater, I think it was. And there was a whole bunch of like other things that happened in that movie theater back in the day. Like, I don't have it confirmed, but apparently there was a kid that got killed there. Something like that. I didn't know that when I first started working. So going into 2012, when I was actually inside and actually got to like explore the place, you know, and actually like get the feel of like working and like building stuff, you know, helping do costumes and whatnot. I started to kind of open my mind towards things. We had an attic scene because the the old haunt was two stories. But upstairs is where I felt the most uncomfortable. And it was an attic scene. The attic was full of like antiques, like old TVs. I don't know where these things came from. But that room, I could not walk into. Every time that like we would have like trainings and whatnot up there, we would like set the actors up. You know, this was before haunted house season. So we would set the actors up and do like a walkthrough is what we call it, you know, to be like, okay, you know, you're good at, you're good at scaring or, oh, you need to work on this. Um, so we had an act, one actor in that scene and I was walking through with a couple of my coworkers. Again, we had one actor and I saw out of the corner of my eyes, somebody standing in a corner. It wasn't a normal person. It was tall and you could see broad shoulders and all that stuff. And I was like, I thought we only had one actor in here. And he goes, we do. They're, they're in that pop-out right there. And he was like, are you okay? What, what's going on? I was like, okay. One actor popped out and I was like, okay, one actor's in here. Devin, you're not crazy. It's okay. We're just going to walk through. So once I saw that, I kind of like brushed it off because I was like, okay, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm just seeing things. I don't know what the hell's going on. So fast forward to like a couple weeks after that, we started, you know, doing more workshops, doing all that stuff. And I kept seeing something in there every time we walked through. And I was like, what is that? Why is that here? And then I started getting like, as soon as I like realized, I was like, okay, something is here. Crap. <laughs> don't know. I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't want to, you know, act like I'm you know, crazy. You know, some people don't believe in anything like that. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to just going to brush it off, whatever. Then, after I started realizing that that's, that's something paranormal in there. Next time I went in there, I got like a heavy, heavy energy just like weighing down on me where walk in the room and immediately get goosebumps. And I was like, I'm not supposed to be in here. It knows that I'm here. I don't know what it is, but I don't like it and it does not like me. And it knows that I can, you know, sense it. So I, again, you know, brushed it off. I was like, I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. It's okay. Like, it's not my haunt. My haunt was, you know, in a different area. It's like, okay, not going to worry about it. Well, when we started demolishing the place, because we had, you know, gotten this place, I had to, you know, help take some of the items out of there. Very uncomfortable with that feeling. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be in here. It's great to take these items out because we were bringing them to the new haunt (laughs) for 2016. And... You know, I, I, I went through it and I was like, okay, not going to look around, just going to take the boxes, just going to, you know, take them downstairs, whatever. 
after we cleared the room, I had gone up there like the following day. That was the first time ever that I could walk into that room and not feel like I was going to puke. Like there was no heavy feeling, no nothing at all. And I was like, oh, great. Whatever we (laughs) packed up went away. Problem is we were bringing that here. As Devin just alluded to, some of the staff believe that some of what haunted them at the Highland location might have hitched a ride when the House of Torment moved to their current location at Ridgepoint. However, with a newer building and a fresh new haunt to build, the staff were optimistic that this new space could be different. When we get back from this short break, we'll hear the new collected stories from Ridgepoint and quickly learn that this probably was just wishful thinking on their part. Stay tuned. I know many of us lead very busy lives these days. I myself am no exception. Between my 9 to 5 and what this show has me doing, investigating new sites, writing and editing for the show, planning and attending events, and then trying to squeeze in a little family and me time as well, there's just not a lot of time left to answer that age-old question of what's for dinner. Lucky for me, I found HelloFresh, America's most popular meal kit. HelloFresh delivers the freshest, tastiest ingredients and delicious, mouth-watering, chef-created recipes to your doorstep to take the stress out of mealtime. Avoid the long lines at the grocery store and headache of meal planning. HelloFresh provides everything you need to create a healthy and delicious meal that will fit everyone's needs. You can choose from low-carb, low-calorie, quick and easy 15-minute meals, or even family-friendly meals that your kids will love. HelloFresh offers 40 new and exciting easy-to-follow recipes every week with options to please even the pickiest of eaters. So why not try HelloFresh today and let it be your recipe for a fun, stress-free, and delicious summer. Thanks again to HelloFresh for sponsoring our show. Go to HelloFresh.com slash NightOwl16 and use code NightOwl16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. AG1 by Athletic Greens is a daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every single day. I decided to give AG1 a try because I was looking for an affordable solution to fulfilling my health needs. And I was not disappointed. Before trying AG1, I was buying all of my vitamins, minerals, supplements, and probiotics separately and having to shop multiple sources to fulfill my needs. Now, A single scoop of AG1 mixed with water replaces all those costly health aids, making it a great bang for my buck. The all-in-one nutritional formula of AG1 makes it extremely easy to cover all my nutritional and health needs on a single daily basis. Each scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and nutrients that promote things like good gut health, boosted energy, mood support, and healthy skin, hair, and nails. In addition to cost savings, the convenience of having all my health supplement needs provided by AG1 has saved me a lot of time. And you know the old saying, time is money. If you want more bang for your buck, then do like me and make it one scoop, once a day, every day, for all your nutritional needs. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash that's drinkag1.com slash nightowl. Check it out. In 2016, House of Torment lost the Highland Mall location because ACC was coming in. They were able to get into this huge 
space up in kind of northeast Austin, 290 and 183. And it was just a big office. And it was a huge office building. It was a huge undertaking, moving all the attractions and things like that into there. But what was nice about it is it was a lot newer. So it was a much more comfortable space to be in. And previously, the escape rooms had had to be inside of the haunted house. So it had a whole separate side. So there was the House of Torment side, which was all three attractions. And then inside of the same building were the escape rooms. So 2016, first moved in there. And the feeling immediately was just so much lighter. It didn't feel as heavy. And I was just doing makeup at the time. So... I only walked through the attractions, but I never worked inside of the attractions other than helping to put things together here and there. But I didn't have a lot of solo experiences when the shows weren't running inside of the building. But in 2017, I got the opportunity to finally come on full time to take over management of the escape rooms. Even though I was running the escape rooms, I was still getting to work with House of Torment and still be in the building and the escape rooms there were in 2016 we had three different rooms that were in there there was the zombie themed escape room houdini which was a houdini themed escape room and then a game that was called terminal which was actually the original escape room that house of torment had put together it was a really big room and it opened up with riding on a moving subway car that was on airbags, which was pretty wild, and then opened up into a subway station and then opened up again into a third room. So it was a really big room. The subway car came from Highland Mall, but a lot of the other stuff was built for that location. Again, there was just something about that room because going through, once you got to the back, got to the final room, you know, escape rooms have to be reset. Puzzles have to be put back together. Clues have to be rehidden to make sure nothing was broken, things like that. And in the very back of Terminal, you felt so disconnected from everybody. You could not hear what was happening anywhere else because you were so far away. There was just something about the layout. You couldn't see if other people were coming. I'd be back there and there's a very specific sound of people walking on the train car because it's got a a wooden bottom to it um, and it's raised up off the ground on these airbags and so I would often hear what sounded like people walking on the train car like they needed me or something like that but I knew that I was the only person in the building all of the full-time staff from House Torment had gone because I had been running games at night I didn't have any staff there and I would hear people walking on the train car and My staff didn't want to be in there either by themselves. And so, and I understood it because I felt that completely. We kind of made the rule, if you, it's the very end of the night, you're the only person in there, you don't have to completely reset terminal. (laughs) You need to go through, make sure everything's there, put eyes on everything, make sure everything works, and then you can dip and then come back in the morning and reset, you know, but you just had to let the next opening manager know like, hey, I couldn't do it. There were some staff members who heard knocking because the whole room is very immersive. I mean, it's got all the walls and has ceilings and blinking lights, but it's it's a theater set. So the outside of it, again, you're just a, in a box inside of a warehouse. And some people would hear knocking on the outside panels or hear people talking outside or walking on the backsides of the rooms because 
like I said, it's like cubes basically set up in a warehouse space and walking behind all of the rooms to get down to on the backside to fix something or reset something. You could hear it sounded like people were talking inside of the escape rooms. It's like, there's nobody here. I did work for, it's not called MindSpark anymore, but now it's called Class Acts and Great Room Escape. I worked um, over there for a little bit from 2017 to 2018, I want to say. So in Terminal, in the subway, you know, it was on airbags. So it would bounce up and down. People were in like the complete darkness, had to find, you know, a key card to open the door to get into the next room. So it was like a, a sliding door that would open whenever they scanned the key card. And that was ran on an air compressor. So there were a couple of other people over there too that worked at MindSpark that would see shadows. We would be up here, you know, late at night, uh, waiting for groups to either get here or, you know, cleaning up and getting ready to go home. Nobody would be, you know, on the haunted house side during this time because this was off season. Nobody was up here. It was just, you know, maybe like three or four of us over on that side. In terminal, we would constantly hear footsteps. I'd be sitting in the control room and be like, hey, did, did you did you hear that? And then, you know, we would go look around and be like, you know, like, well, the door's locked. Like, we don't have a group for the next, you know, like, and this was close to like, you know, between like 10 and 12 at night. Like, all this would happen. And there were times that I would be cleaning up like after a group and you would, you would hear, like you could be standing there you could hear footsteps. They weren't like light footsteps. It sounded like somebody with like platform boots on. And it was always behind Terminal. I was like, okay, well, nobody's back there because there's literally four of us in the whole building right now. And everybody else is in the control room. You know, it's, it's weird. So you would constantly hear footsteps and just like things falling out of nowhere. There was one time that we hadn't turned the air compressor on because usually we would, you know, that would be the first thing in the, the morning is to turn it on, get it ready for shows because it takes a while for it to, you know, get everything ready for the doors to open or for the actual train car to go up and down. We hadn't turned it on that morning. The night before, I knew that we had turned it off like around like nine or 10 because we didn't have any more groups that wanted to do that show. So we turned it off because it's noisy. Next morning when we came in, it wasn't on like it's supposed to be. We had walked into the room, the train car. All of a sudden, that door just slides open. This door cannot be open by somebody just, like, pushing it. The air literally has to be on. And, you know, we're standing there thinking, like, okay, well, maybe it's just, you know, like, did you turn on the air for a second? And, like, it's just, just you know, residual of yesterday. And I was like, no, we turned it off early yesterday. There's no way that there can be air left in this. So we stood there and let it it, it open. And we're like, well, no, we're not walking in there because you're literally going to be trapped in that next room if it does close. And then a couple seconds later, slam back shut. Don't know how that was done, but we were like, okay, well, that confirms all the footsteps that we heard the other day. Something's here. There was one time that I was behind the train car and I was going to our zombie escape room to go because there's a chain in there. It's a long story. There's a chain, zombies attached to it. So we always have to reset the chain. Well, down that hallway, I had seen something. A very tall male figure was just hanging out in the corner of my right eye. 
And I just stopped in the middle of the little hall and I was like, there's, there's nobody down there. Everybody else is in, you know, either doing another room or they're at the front desk or they're in the control room. What is that? I, to this day, believe that whatever that is was attached to the terminal car. I don't know if it's still here today because I don't really spend that much time on that side, but whatever it was, it didn't feel like it was gonna hurt anybody. It was just a very tall figure with very broad shoulders. We don't have it on anymore, unfortunately. I wish we had it today so you guys could see it because that train car came from the old hunt. My name is Bailey. Um, I worked at the House of Torment for about seven years. I had, had quite a few weird experiences or things I couldn't quite explain. I really still can't even now. So the attractions that they had whenever that was going on were the hospital, which is the first attraction you come into whenever you're walking through the building. And then the, it was frenzy at the time. So it was like a clown haunt, very carnival themed. And then at the far end, it was a haunted, you know, manor, very kooky spooky, you know, just like a big haunted house, which is kind of funny considering the situation. It all kind of uh, started about a, a year into my working there. So I started off just as a regular scare actor, one of the guys who, you know, comes in, puts on makeup and a costume and gets paid to make kids cry. Pretty unique work environment. Um, and honestly, a very positive one. Everyone there is, you know, they're really nice people, very friendly and outgoing. But, you know, the subject matter of your, your day-to-day job is pretty dark and the surrounding area that you're in is dark and spooky and uh, a lot of charged energy and feelings in the, in the building. This is kind of when the, the first things I started to, to notice kind of happened. You know, I'd be working all day and hanging out with the, the production team and it starts to get late. And, you know, we're a bunch of like, uh, you know, teenagers and, you know, horror movie fans. So we get up late in the day and work late into the night kind of thing. So the later into the evenings as it would go on, we kind of start to notice that like if you're working in one room and has your tools in there um, and there's other people on the other side of the building, your tools would, you know, move over into the next room or disappear completely. And you assume it's it's other uh, co-workers or employees coming and grabbing the stuff and moving it. But you ask around and nobody really uh, fesses up or calls out that they did that. So it was the first kind of things that we started to notice, or at least that I started to notice. Well, a lot of us are skeptics. We're not, you know, going around talking about actual haunted houses like they're, like they're real. We are the scary thing in the night. We're not... We're not really thinking about, you know, demons and spirits and things like that. So that was kind of my first little experience. Then it was really light. I wasn't really feeling weird energies or anything like that. It wasn't until maybe, because I started in 2017, and it wasn't maybe until like the, the Halloween season of 2018, whenever I got bumped up to a, a leadership position that, you know, I was spending more time in the building and really starting to... I don't know, get weird feelings whenever you're alone, specifically on the side of the building where the manor is at. Where we are right now, you know, in at the Ridgepoint location, my haunt that I was running was manor. Well, found out that manor was going to have an attic scene. Where did all those items go that were in the attic? In that attic scene, in my haunt. And I was like, crap. <laughs> Here we go again, I'm gonna have to be in this scene, you know, like running through constantly. 
I kind of, again, brushed it off. I was like, you know what? Going into this season with an open mind, new building, new, you know, location. We have new sets. Everything is beautiful. There should be no problems, right? Going through the hallways, you always feel like you have eyes on you. It's a very, 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 very uncomfortable feeling. Not like anything is going to, like, attack you, but just you know something's there and you don't want to, you know, look behind you because you know that you have eyes on you type feeling. And that's why like my actors and my assistants thought I was crazy because I never went backwards through the haunt. Even if there was an issue, I would find a way through our runner doors to go straight because I never wanted to turn around. So that's what I did for the whole entire season until I started getting like feelings back in that attic. And it wasn't like at the beginning, of this season, it was more like, I would say two-ish weeks after the season started, that's when things started ramping up. And that heavy, heavy energy feeling came back in the attic. And as I was walking through, I was like, okay, here we go again. Just gonna, I'm not gonna pay attention to it. I'm not gonna entertain it. I'm just gonna walk away. Well, then towards the end of the season, we started not having an actor in there because we couldn't literally keep an actor in there. It was like, you know, it was a constant like, oh, you know, I need to step out of the haunt. I have a headache. Oh, I need to go take medication, you know, or, oh, I don't feel too good. Well, it's like, okay, didn't think think about it, right? You know, like this, this is the way I'm feeling in there. I wonder if that, you know, is a thing that the actor is in there for, you know, five, six hours a night. Maybe they are feeling the way that I do. I was put in charge of a, a section of the haunt while it was operating and I had to take care of the actors in that area. In that process, you know, as, as the night's going on, you know, you'd have um, some of the actors, some of them tell you like, hey man, uh, there's like weird knockings on the walls or like, is there a way for or for people to be up above us? Cause there's like stuff falling from the ceiling. Like people are walking up there and it's, it's not a two story attraction. There's no way for people to really get up there. So that wasn't really a thing. Um, and I just talked it up to, to kids being kind of spooked and, you know, in a dark room. So kind of playing with their own um, imaginations or playing up their own fears, but started to happen pretty consistently. You have kids, you know, stopping and be like, hey man, I see like, a, you know, like things moving up on top of the walls. Uh, is that normal? And no, it's not normal. We're not, we don't have any, anything like that. No bungee cords or any uh, zip line. None that are functioning at least. You know, that same season where, you know, Kids are, you know, starting to tell us that they're seeing stuff on the crawling around on the, on the ceilings and in the top of the walls. Is the is really the most negative I felt in that building. I mean, because around that time when everyone's kind of bringing attention to it, it was a new space. We, ha- you know, us as a haunt haven't been there for very long. We used to be in a different building, so when we moved in there, it was kind of like a fresh start. So that season was the most, yeah, I think negatively charged is the way I would describe it. So those, those sightings are kind of the first thing, aside from the, the moving tools, the first thing we noticed. But um, more and more kids kind of started pointing those kind of things out. Kids who are only working maybe like once a week, you know, who wouldn't really be around it all that often would be like, hey, is this normal? Is that supposed to happen? And we eventually kind of start to shrug it off as the season goes on because we're just trying to, you know, maintain these these actors. We don't want to spook them out of there, you know? And as that's going on, we start to see it. We start to, out of the corner of our eyes, we'll, we'll catch something kind of, you know, like a black shadow moving around or peeking around the corners. You'll f- you get the feeling that um, 
that you're being watched and you'll catch it out of the corner of your eye or you'll turn around for a split second and it's almost like something was peeking around a corner and as soon as it notices you notice it, it darts away. Like it's trying to always stay either a room ahead of you or a room behind you. And you know, a haunted house is a very linear attraction so like you can go forward and you can go backwards. So it, it just felt like it was either following you or leading you along the way. Which is not a great feeling if you're alone or if you know that there's not supposed to be something there doing that. So what I understand that that whole attraction is furnished with furniture from a couple different estate sales. So it belongs to a bunch of dead dudes, <laughs> which is great because, you know, we completely disrespect and destroy all of that furniture. So, you know, whatever who or whoever owned that stuff, I don't think would be very happy about what we did to it. But yeah, you know, we, you know, put screws through things, paint them kind of disrespect the items to make it look like a, a haunted house. Here at Ridgepoint, you always see, you know, the tail glimpse of something around a corner and you can't really know what it is. But again, you know, you don't know if it's fatigue or if it's really something. But the main thing that's happened to me recently was uh, it was last year in October. I was really tired, but I was up here late. It was like four in the morning and in our lab area, I heard my name audibly on my right ear and I turn and look and I don't see anybody and I just feel a growing presence behind me like swelling up. I turn back around and just start to uh, pray audibly and it like like a gush out of the room and I sense it and feel it on the other side of the building which is the manor which is where everybody always experiences everything. On that side I can now feel it swelling over there and I can't see it but I can see it. It's almost like that you can still sense it. It's one of those, it's how powerful it was. And I'm just staring in that direction, still praying audibly, but just more of a defense, not like I'm trying to rebuke it or trying to do anything, but just trying to be like, I don't know what you are, but you you caught me off guard. So um, since then, I'll hear doors open. On two occasions, doors have opened in front of me and closed. Recently, two weeks ago, one did just close really hard in front of me. And for me, it was a gotcha moment. You know, it was my Ghostbusters library moment. Um, but it closed right in front of me. So that's happened on two occasions. All of the, the doors that lead to the egresses and the hallways on the outside of the attraction have springs on them. So whenever you open them and let go, they close on their own. But those springs have a very unique tension sound when they open up. It's like a, like a screen door. Whenever you open, you can hear the creaking of the of the the spring stretching out, and that that noise sticks out in my head so much because I heard it so often. And they do they will not open on their own. That is the point of the spring, is to keep the customers walking through from seeing a door that would lead them to a part of the attraction they're not supposed to be in. So it's, it's supposed to stay shut unless you're putting a decent amount of force into it. And to hear those springs stretch open means that there's something pushing it open, you know? I have no explanation for those noises and they happen so abundantly. For me, it's unsettling to where we're not worried that it's a person in the building anymore because you just gotta, you gotta abandon that thought once it comes to the, to how many times we hear that now because it's just like, oh, well, everybody and their mom's here now breaking in if that's the case, but that's just not what it is anymore. You hear that enough to where you know it's, you know, it, it's something else. And then just uh, walking, you can tell, you can almost tell where in the building, you know, if, if you hear that, depending on where you're at. It's almost like it's footsteps, like they do it all the time. Like they're just walking, they're in no hurry, they're not trying to do anything, they're just, and it's not even like a residual, like none of it's ever like, oh, at this time it's going to happen. It's just when it wants. 
or it's almost like when it's trying to, you know, antagonize us or something like that. It's always later in the night is when I start to really, really, you know, hear stuff or whatever. And it gets to a point to where if I hear it enough, I'm just like, all right, well, it's your time. I'm just going to, I'm going to go home now or it's, it's on you now. I'm not going to do anything. There was one evening when I was shutting down the building with two other people, two other full-time people, Erica and Mike, and we were walking down from the manor, down this long hallway, down the back of all three attractions, and we were walking past the doors in the hospital. And just like in Highland, but these doors are huge. I mean, they're whole walls that move, and they're on these heavy, tight springs, and all of a sudden this huge runner door just opens in front of all of us. I freaked out. I ran. I was like, nope, 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 nope. I'm not doing this. It really, (laughs) really freaked me out. Again, after a few years there, we started to feel a lot more uncomfortable. It wasn't kind of the shiny new that we felt in 2016. And props started going off. There was a zombie horde. That was a bunch of zombies that you know, pop out. (laughs) And when it wasn't connected to the air, it would make this clicking sound where it's like trying to fire and trying to get going, but there's nothing really to to power it, to animate it. And you would be walking through and not walking past a motion sensor or anything. You're walking on the outside. There's nobody inside of the attraction and you can hear the zombie horde clicking and trying to go off. So I was one of four people in charge of the actors in that particular haunt for that season. And we had our own little break room. And in the midst of, you know, the middle of the season and all these spooky things happening, you know, everyone's kind of on edge and you're walking around in the dark. You've got a flashlight to help you, you know, see in the really dark spaces. And that's pretty much it. And so I'm going on my break and I walk over to the uh, break spot and there's like this big cushy armchair in that area that my manager for that attraction would sit in on his break and like the way the lights work you know there's no lights on in the place so that way it doesn't bleed into the attraction and so the one little lamp in the room had some light that would like it would it would shine the light across the feet of the chair so if someone was sitting in it you could see the bottom of their legs against the bottom of the chair you know I, i come walking around the corner and i see him sitting in the chair or at least i see his legs sitting there i look down at my phone expecting that you know that's the guy sitting there you know, kind of talking to him, telling him about the night. He's not really saying anything. And then I look up and there's no one there. And the manager walks up behind me and says, hey, man, how you doing? There was no one in the chair. And he had just now started his break. And so it was like, who who was that? Who was, that was totally you, dude. I totally just saw you. And it was like probably one of my first experiences with like a doppelganger situation. Uh, we've had quite a few of those in the building as time has gone on. But that was like the most blatant in my face, one that I experienced. We didn't open for 2020, and so, because uh, of the pandemic, but we got furloughed, a handful of us got furloughed, and two employees came back early. So I think we were all closed for at least a couple of months, maybe half a year, like nobody was in the building. And they showed up and were working, and they kept saying they were seeing each other. They would see one another, but it wasn't them. And they would never see the face of it. It was just the tail end of it. But not they wouldn't see it together. When they were together, they would never see it. But separately, they would see it. And then they both started to see me up here. But I always have my keys on me, and they jingle. And that didn't. And 
they would text me and ask me, hey, did you come back to work yet? And I would tell them, no, I'm not back. I'm not back for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. Because it would happen numerous times. And because of that, they started to be like, well, what is this thing now? And they said they caught a glimpse of its face and it was just blank. Like it was my body or my whatever, but it was just blank. And I don't think I've ever seen that. But like I said, I've seen tail ends of stuff, but it's just almost like, it's almost like somebody around a corner. It's like some, it's, it's letting you know it's there, but it's really not. It's trying to, you know, just just enough. What they always said, it was over in the manor and like down that main egress area. Like it's literally like right around the corner. But that's where they would always say they would see that. Where I see that stuff is like around like coming down these dark corners, but it's always going towards that way. And it's always where nobody's at majority of the time. Like barely anybody spends any time down here throughout the day. While conducting my interviews, I had learned that this very unusual doppelganger, or mimicking phenomena, was also experienced in the escape room side of the building. So I needed to gather some more testimony to shed some light on these strange reports. I also worked on the other side of the building, doing like the, the escape room and the axe farm stuff. And over there, we had some employees that would like see a doppelganger of me or a doppelganger of one of the other girls working over there where like they would be in the back part of the building where the kitchenette is and making like a, a cup of coffee or something. And one of the, either me or a girl would walk by, like right by them. And, you know, they wouldn't say anything. They would just kind of keep walking, but walking towards the haunted house side of the building. And then they would go out to the front of the building where the ax throwing is. And, you know, we'd be out there three quarters of the way through a cigarette. And so like in the time it takes to walk there, it's only like 45 seconds. There's no way that we're, walking around inside the building and outside smoking a cigarette at the same time. So that was pretty pretty alarming once we started getting stories about other people seeing us in the building when we're not in there. So that was kind of intense. I had a couple of strange experiences. And over time, the the feeling kind of changed on the escape room side. I mean, there were times when I was getting the throwing lane set up and I was working on decor and building things like that over there. And you know that feeling when you don't necessarily see someone walking towards you, but like you know who's walking towards you? You're like, oh, the house torment manager at the time was named Annabeth. And I was working on this big Texas sign. And her and I were the only two people in the building. She was way down in the haunted house. And I was over in axe throwing. And I kept feeling like she was walking towards me because it was kind of a long hallway. You turn the corner and from the lobby down into the axe throwing lane and the two remaining escape rooms. And I just kept having this feeling that Annabeth was walking towards me and I would like look up to be like, oh, hi. And she was never, she was not there. And finally, you know, she was coming to say goodbye and she walked towards me and I looked up to kind of be like, okay, is this real this time? And there she was. And I was like, I have felt like you were coming down here for forever. <laughs> like, I don't know if I was just anticipating or something was just like, hey, maybe you should leave. But the escape rooms, as uncomfy as they could be at times, were never as bad as the haunted house. And the House of Torment side, again, is a massive warehouse. I think the whole space is... 34,000 square feet. And it's a giant warehouse that each attraction is built inside of. Giant cubes with little mazes on the inside. And there were three attractions. So you can walk around the attractions almost completely along the outsides of them without having to get into the show. 
you know, so that people can get around and fix things or work while the show is running. So there's a hallway in Manor that only like management and, you know, actors and all that can get to. And there's a ladder at the end of this hallway. And we would have to have the, the actor go up the ladder. And then, you know, they'd be up there for, you know, a couple of hours and check on them ever so often. I couldn't make it down that hallway. I felt that heavy presence, felt like something was down in a corner watching me and more or less felt like I was going to pass out. Like the heaviest feeling ever where you're like, I literally just had all of my energy drained. I, I can't do this. So I had one of my coworkers go up there. I was like, can you please go up there? And I can't do it. Like I know, you know, management wise, I'm supposed to. I literally feel like I need to walk out of the haunt right now because I, I can't breathe. I need to sit down. She goes up there and everything's fine. And I asked her, I was like, are you okay? And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine. I was like, okay. Later on, walking behind the scenes, I would have to walk past that hallway to get to the front of the haunt, to get to like the queue line area and then, you know, make my rounds of starting, you know, to go forward through everything. And out of the corner of my eye, down that hallway, I would see something. It wasn't necessarily like a person per se. It was kind of just like, you knew that there was a shadow down that hall. And this, mind you, this hallway is dark, very, very dim, just enough to, you know, be able to see the walkway. And I was like, did one of the actors, like, did they come down? Like, I know that nobody else is down there. I don't like that. And to the point that like, again, got that heavy feeling, not even going down the full hallway just standing at the like front of it, like I would get out of breath and I wasn't moving. I was just standing there and I was like, okay, time to go. Well, there was another night that I had to go down there to check on things and to make sure, you know, everything was okay in that area because the actor was going to go up the ladder and made sure everything was clean. Well, it, the house lights were already off, so it was dark. So I had my big old flashlight. It had new batteries in it but it kind of started like flickering. And I had it on the lowest setting, but it was kind of like a slow, like dim. And I looked down and I was like, this is, this is enough. Whatever is down there does not want me. I don't want to be down there. Don't want to entertain it. I'm not starting my night off like this. So walked away from it. And this is where, like I told one of my other coworkers, I was like, hey, have you had any weird feelings or anything like that going down there? Like, I know you go down there a lot to check on, you know, the actor that's up there. And they were like, my flashlight has kind of dimmed out whenever I walk down that hallway. And I was like, when you get to a certain point, right? And they were like, yeah. They're like, well, it's probably just my batteries. I was like, no, it's weird because that happened to me too. I feel like both of our flashlights going dim is not a normal thing. So that night, we decided, we were like, you know what? We're going to go down there. We'll go down there together. We'll see. We both grab arms, you know, because we're both scared <laughs> going down there with our flashlights. And hers completely goes out. And I looked over at her and I was like, I'm done. Turning off my flashlight, I'm walking away. I'm, I, I, I can't. Don't like this feeling. I'm not okay. So I sat, you know, back in one of the other, like, egress hallways took my mask off for a bit and I was like, okay, Devin, you're fine. We're just going to ignore what happened. You have a job to do. Let's go scare people. Let's do this thing. So go back in the haunt. And that same night is when 
walking down one of the hallways. There's a whole bunch of picture frames on the wall and all that stuff, and I swear to God, one of the pictures kind of, like, had, like, a movement towards it and, like, a little, like, black shadow. It wasn't anything, like, big. was not on the ground, but it was, like, on the wall. And it was, like, kind of, like, moved around like smoke in a way, and then it went away. I'm still, to this day, not okay with that hallway. But the weird thing about it is that this hallway, if you're looking down it, towards the ladder, to the left of it is where that attic scene is. So all that energy in that area made sense to me a couple of like, you know, years later, I finally thought about it. I was like, oh crap, all of these things combine into one. So whatever is in that hallway is all within that area. Walking down to the manor, there was one section. So again, just like the escape rooms, they're cubes, so there's hallways back there. But there's this one point of walking all the way down to the opposite side of the building to the front of the manor. You walk past a greenhouse window, and, you know, they're plexiglass windows, but you can see into the attraction. And from there to the end was so dark. There was almost no light lighting that hallway even if all of the work lights were on. You know, it's just a normal Tuesday and you have to go find one of the scenic guys working. Walking down there, when it hit that dark, I I wouldn't go. I would go all of the long ways to walk through the attractions or take runner doors or whatever I could to avoid having to walk down that dark, dark hallway. You know, when the show's on, the energy is very different in the building. It doesn't feel as isolating. It just feels better. So walking down that way didn't feel like a big deal. But when the show is quiet, there is something eerie about that feeling. It kind of felt like whenever it was a negative energy, it kind of felt like the whole building was like alive and breathing. You could hear the creaks and the, and the walls moving away that it kind of like circled around you and let you know where that it knew where you were in the building. I've never experienced anything like it, Uh, not before that, not since. Something that I haven't told anybody yet that happened a couple of nights ago, our alarm was tripped inside. And to do that, you gotta push through one of the sensors or open up one of the doors. And security, like they call, and I pull up the cameras and none of the doors were open. I could see that none of the doors got opened. Uh, When they called me, they had said none of the doors got open. Nothing on the camera was like that. I came up here, nothing had happened, but a sensor had went off to where it tripped the big alarm. For me, it was odd because it's like, well, then that seems like it's a default in our system, but it wasn't. I talked with them about it and they were like, no, it just as if somebody had walked through or, you know, tripped it, which would meant somebody would have had to have been in here to do that. I don't know anything about what the building was before it. It's in an office park, so I couldn't imagine it being too, you know, like haunted burial grounds or anything like that. I don't know. I have no clue. But I do know that in the manor side of the building and then in the hospital where we had acquired equipment from an actual hospital and the manor had stuff that belonged to some people who were dead. And those two parts of the building had the craziest energy and the most encounters, I think. Energy is very powerful, whether it's negative, you know, positive. Um, that's, you know, it's a defining force just in the world. And that dictates, you know, a lot of new life. And so we're drawing a certain energy out of customers, you know, nightly, yearly in Highland from 2005 
till uh, 15, you know, that's 10 whole solid years. And we're just sitting there drawing fear out of customers, fear out of, uh, over and over and over. And it just stays there, you know, and the emotion that getting out of us as actors here, performers is like, we enjoy that. Or, you know, so you have a positive and negative that they're just clashing the whole time there. And now we're doing that here and stuff is starting to happen here now more so. And we've only been here since 2016. So for me now, that that's all I can ever, that's what I always chalk it up to, you know. Um, besides that, we have a lot of the hospital equipment in the manor in the prison is from a cancer ward in St. Louis that we bought out. There was an old condemned one from what I remember that we just got all of their stuff out of. I believe we had one or two authentic straight jackets. You know, it's an office building. There's nothing that is absolutely conclusive. You know, this is a house from 1900 and people died here and it's the ghost of so-and-so that's haunting this. There, it, there, there isn't that. There's no obvious explanation as to what is causing people to feel uncomfortable for props to close off, for doors to open, for people to hear people talking. You know, there were times when we would be in the escape rooms and we heard someone scream down in the haunted house, you know, and then looking through cameras to see, did somebody get in over there? Did something happen? And then going down there and finding nobody there. And there's there's not an obvious, easy, you know, oh, that's the thing that's causing this. But having worked in the haunted houses for so long, having come from theaters that were also haunted, that have no obvious reason why they're haunted. I personally believe that it all has to do with the energy that's put out there. Being in a haunted house or even being in the escape room, the whole point is to elicit emotion. You know, the escape rooms, you've got clocks counting down and things going off to kind of get a rise out of you. And the whole point of the haunted house is there to scare you and to have fun. So I don't think it's necessarily a specific ghost or poltergeist or anything like that. But I feel like there's something about the emotion that gets let off there by thousands and thousands of people coming through with, you know, actors who spend all their time there putting out this energy to scare someone and, and get this reaction. I kind of feel like all of that just gets trapped and gets built up. And that's why Highland at the end was so eerie because it had been there for years. We moved into a new building and everything felt fine until it didn't. And I just feel like there's something about everything that happens and all of the energy that's released that just kind of gets soaked up. And then we walk through that and we feel it. It's like you're walking through a wall and all of a sudden you're so scared. Granted, you may be walking through a gore-filled hallway, but that was every day. You know, that was my office. I was so used to that, you know. The giant skeletons don't scare me because, you know, that's, that's, that's what I walk past on the way to go do my job. So I don't, I'm desensitized to the visuals of it. And so are all of the people who work there full time because we built it, we made it. That energy cannot be denied. And the way that it feels is just, it's uncomfortable and it's unsettling. And frankly, I think the haunted house is just doing its job. <laughs> it's scaring us, even the people who, who made it. 
At the close of this first episode, we've learned that there were a lot of unnerving experiences had at the Highland location, and now a few increasingly alarming incidents at the current Ridgepoint location. But what you just heard was just the tip of the iceberg for what employees are experiencing at the House of Torment. In the next installment of this series, we'll get to hear about some of the more recent experiences from new staff and learn that whatever is tormenting them seems to be getting louder and more physical. I'll dive into questioning these eyewitnesses and make some eerie discoveries that lead us to believe we may have found a source for the ominous feelings in the manor. Like Chase mentioned, this is a place created by artists and actors to scare its guests. The staff live and breathe horror, they manufacture the scares. So the fact that so many of them are uncomfortable and at times terrified to do their own jobs honestly had me a little concerned. If professional frighteners were afraid of what lurked in the shadows here at the House of Torment, how was I going to feel when I came to spend the night here, exploring the dark corridors of this haunt with just my team? Well, we were about to find out. Join us as this paranormal adventure continues on July 31st, where I'll be putting on my investigative hat, interrogating the eyewitnesses, and take my first walk through the entire haunt my team. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast, and consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show, my dad Sam for his incredible historical research, Bo for helping produce this busy indie show, Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode, Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget, and last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. Do you have a song that could use a professional touch to get it across the finish line? Do you wish you could remove the sound of a loud air conditioner or distracting mouth noises from your podcast recording? Whatever your issue, David can repair and enhance your audio and help you achieve rich, full, professional sound at industry standard loudness levels. Quit struggling with audio engineering and get back to creating. To discuss your options, reach out to David at driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com, and set your creative self free.